Good evening. I'm Coach Hart from System Basketball. Um, I'm here tonight interviewing Coach Matt Peterson. This is our new feature for System Basketball Clinics called System Basketball Zoomcast, where we're going to ask the tough questions that every, every coach wants to know about System Basketball. So welcome, Coach. Glad to have you. This is our inaugural episode. Thanks, Mark. I'm uh, glad and excited to be here. Coach, could you tell us how you got into coaching basketball? Yeah, um, so just as a kid growing up playing sports all the time, I settled on uh, football and, and basketball in high school. And uh, um, I was always better in football, uh, but I loved basketball more. So um, after graduating, I went and played uh, college basketball at Iowa Wesleyan uh, University. And um, from there, I uh, actually got my degree or started my de uh, degree in engineering. I was always a big math person in high school, got good grades, loved statistics. And um, so after that first semester, I knew engineering wasn't for me. And the thing is, the, the interesting thing is, I went and took one of those aptitude tests, you know, after that first semester and just blew it out and scored the highest on teaching and coaching. And I looked at it and I was like, no, I want to make money in my life. I'm not doing this. And I uh, went and eventually went down to the pre-law route. And I was actually in, in pre-law. Well, I had stopped playing and transferred to Illinois State. And that one of those summers, I actually coached my brother's AAU travel eighth grade basketball team. And the second I did it, I kind of fell in love. Uh, right there. And so I immediately went back when I got back to school, switched my major. Um, and then I knew I wanted to coach. So I actually uh, went to one of my uh, kinesiology professor's office one day who I knew had been through the, the rigor before and I just told her what I wanted to do and what I was looking for. And she actually hooked me up with, with some of the high school coaches of the university's high school. And that's kind of where I got my start. And so I started coaching um, on in high school um, did that for three years and then going into my fourth year I was going into student teaching and kind of was going back home to student teach so I actually went and was a, a varsity boys assistant at my the high school that I went to which was Hall High School so I did that for a year and then uh, going into the second year there uh, one of the guys that I coached with uh, at UHI, um, got a job at Illinois Wesleyan the same year I went to Hall as on the women's basketball coaching side. So going in, into that next year, they had uh, an assist part-time assistant position open, and he kind of pitched me to the head coach, Maya Smith. Um, he asked me if I would be interested in it, and you know I was a little hesitant at the time, um, but I decided, you know what, I, I do want would love to coach college basketball and. Um, jumped in and got that Illinois Wesleyan job. Um, from there, uh, I was a part-time assistant at Illinois Wesleyan, and then I went to uh, North Central College, and then I went to Elmhurst College, then I became the associate head coach at the University of St. Francis. Um, and then after that, I ended up coaching with Coach Porter at uh, Olivet Nazarene, went, then went to UW Parkside, and then was back as a high school head boys coach in the Chicago suburbs at a school called South Elgin High School. 
which actually uh, our enrollment was about 3,300. So it was actually bigger than any college that I had coached at pretty much. Um, and then from there, I went to Knox College on the women's side. And then I got the Rhodes uh, men's assistant position. And then from Rhodes, I, I'm now here at Pacific. So who would who would you say are your biggest influences in the game of basketball on the coaching side? Okay, uh, well I'm going to break these up into two two different ways. One, there there are two people that I've never met or coached with, but I've read their books and their information, and and they really, especially in the beginning of my coaching career, uh, before I had more mentors, and that, like I really leaned on them and learned a lot from them. And, and number one is John Wooden. Um, I'm not exactly sure how I stumbled upon getting into John Wooden like I did. I know one of the things was I actually did read a book because uh, I was so interested in, and I was a, a PE teacher, you know, major, so interested in teaching. And there was a book that I think he and Swen Nader teamed up and wrote, you haven't taught until they've learned. And that really like struck home with me. And I loved it. And then that made me, you know, that led me to getting a whole, every book that, that Wooden wrote. Um, so he's been huge. And then another one who's maybe a little lesser known, but his name is Dick DeVenzio. And he, you know, was a player at Duke back in the late sixties, early seventies, somewhere in that time frame, I think. And uh, he has about five, four or five specific books. And I'm telling you, those are some of the best basketball books I've read from a coaching standpoint, they're just very succinct to the point, very easy reads, but filled with just a wealth of information. He actually run or started point guard college. Um, and so he's just, he's, his books are a great resource. And, you know, if you haven't heard of him, I would recommend getting stuff and, you know, running the show 88 by 44. And one of my favorites actually that I still have on my nightstand right now that I do pull open, maybe not every night, but uh, every couple nights, because you can read, it's like one page per topic is Think Like a Champion. And uh, so the, his books are great. Uh, the people that I've actually met and know that are, I would consider like mentors of mine um, would be one, uh, Doug Bruno, who's the head women's basketball coach at DePaul University in, in Chicago. And, and the thing about Doug is um, when I started coaching in college, you know, one of the things we do to, to make money and build connections is go work our, these summer camps. And I, I was told to go work the DePaul summer camps. They had six of them going on all summer. It was a great way for me to make money uh, and, and make connections there because it was so they were so popular, the, the most popular girls camps in, in Illinois. And so I go and I would say, even though I didn't think this was a knock on me, one of the knocks on me at the time through because I was coaching a bunch of travel teams and that was that I just was, was way too detail oriented. I gave him way too many details and just would go and go and go. And everybody would always say, you just got to let them do it. They're going to mess up anyway. You know, you'll need to go into that much detail. And I remember a couple things about Bruno. Um, he sat there and he was coaching these seven to, to 13 year old girls. And he was the, the best teacher of fundamentals that I had ever witnessed. And he was so detailed uh, down to the exact step and could teach it so well and manage you know, them so well. And two things happened. One, I'm like, this is incredible. Like, I want to know how to, to manage groups and teach them as well as he does. And then I was also thinking, too, well, this is a guy like me, man. He talks a lot, too. So, like, 
let's, let's be like him. I like that. And then the other thing too about him was he was in his late sixties. I think when I met him working the camps and he had more energy than anybody I had ever been around before. I mean, he, he's coaching these girls at a basketball summer camp and he coached them with as much fire and drive and determination uh, as he did or what his college team starters on his college team. And I just never seen somebody with so many, so much energy, especially, uh, you know, for his, his age. And I thought it was incredible. Definitely wanted to model that. Hopefully I'm still performing at that peak when I'm that age. Um, another one would be uh, Doug Porter. Uh, Doug was the one who got me my, my start here in system basketball. And D Doug, Doug is great. I mean, Doug really uh, has simplified the, the teaching of the game. Um, and it was something to be around. And the tempo that he ran his practices at were something that was just uh, in incredible. So uh, Doug Porter be another one. And then, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, just my, my statistical brain and just loving math, you know, uh, Mike DeGeorge, who was my head coach at Rhodes, um, he was one of the first guys who just loved that stuff too and wanted to know before he could make a decision, he wanted to have it analyzed. And if he had data to make those decisions, uh, he wanted it and he would use it. And so he was kind of a guy who not just let me run wild with the analytics, but he also wanted that information himself. So it was just a good marriage of, of him wanting something that I really enjoyed. And, and that kind of took kind of our evaluation of this to, to another level. Um, and he's actually an unbelievable coach, one of the smartest X's and O's coaches uh, that, I've, that I've had the opportunity to be around. Um, and then after he left Rhodes, he was at Colorado Mesa, which is a division two in the Rocky Mountain Conference. And, and they finished 13th in conference the year before he got there. Um, and, and within two years, they won a conference championship. Like he, he is really that good of a teacher and coach. And then lastly, I would say uh, Justin Lunt, my head coach at Pacific. Uh, this guy has so much energy and you just got to love being around people who have uh, the energy that, that a coach Lunt does. Um, he's given me a lot of autonomy to help implement and install this stuff, which I, I can't thank him enough for. Um, so Coach Lunt is just incredible to be around every day. Uh, and I'm looking forward to where the Pacific program is going to go with him uh, kind of at the helm here. So Mal, you've been running the system since 2012? Oh man, this is getting back into in, in the old school. Let's see, I would say 2000, I think 2011, 12 was when I was with Coach Porter uh, mm -hmm. at Olivet. So that was where my, uh, my first official start was the year before, um, the year before I was coaching at university of St. Francis as the associate head coach. And we were in coach Porter's conference. So my actually first introduction to it was coaching against it, um, at St. Francis. Uh, but that's where I was introduced. And then I started coaching with it in, in 2011, 12. Well, Matt, there's so many different definitions of system basketball, and lots of people say they run it. Um, what, what, what? How do you define system basketball in your terms? What makes it system basketball? It's interesting. Everybody you talk to seems to have a different answer, but uh, um, I really believe there are numerous ways to skin a cat, so to speak. And and to me. Um, when I'm looking at box scores and stats or watching a team play, this is kind of what I'm looking for. And this is how uh, I, I know that I would classify them as a system team. But um, I would say my definition of system basketball is implementing an extreme 
up-tempo style of play. Um, and, and I emphasize the word extreme, but an extreme up-tempo style of play that uh, utilizes constant trapping defenses in the, in the backcourt and the frontcourt to create steals instead of just focusing on stops using transition offense and an ultra aggressive attacking uh, mindset to produce quick shots and implementing line changes, you know, five in, five out to keep players fresh throughout the game. Um, I think if you have all three of those components, um, you can even uh, see, check out box scores to really see if they are and just watching them. But if they're implementing, I think those three of those, uh, of those components, I, I think you could classify them as a system team. There's a lot of misconceptions of the system. Well, we can go all night probably with an interview of that. But what, what do you feel is the biggest one out there of people misconception of the system? Boy, um, I, well, I, I think there are two. So I'm going to talk about two real quick here. But one um, that um, I, I think people think this because they just they maybe don't understand it enough, though, is the idea of that um, it's just like you're rolling the ball out almost. And, and it's it's not basketball, right? It's not basketball. Like we're just rolling the ball out or you're not coaching. I, it's just this idea of rolling the ball out and playing it and how we play, I think, is um, absolutely the complete 180 degrees fur, furthest from the truth. Um, you know, to get players to to play at an effort level that's harder than anything that they've ever played at before is extremely hard to do. And you have to be a very efficient and effective coach to do that. And then the other aspect that makes the coaching of this really difficult is you, you, we don't run a lot of stuff. We don't run a lot of plays. We don't run a lot of in, intricate offensive schemes. You don't run a lot of different defenses. You have to be a really good coach at getting your players to perform a few really simple things really well. And that's really tough to do. So the, the, the coaching within this stuff is really uh, a lot more sophisticated than people think. And I think that's a misconception that it's just rolling the ball out. But we're playing basketball. We're playing basketball maybe in a different way uh, than, than that's ever been done before. But it's still a, a highly coached basketball endeavor. And then the second thing that I do want to mention just real quick here is I do hear a lot of people say that, um, you know, it's not an effective style of play because it's never been won on a big level or something to that effect, right? Nobody's won big with it. So it's not an effective style of play. Um, and, and, and I really think that that's, that's just, it is true that it hasn't been won at a big level. But I want you to look at it this way. When, when Grinnell went to the system, they had won about 33% of their games up until the, them going to this. After they implemented this, they won about 67% of their games. I mean, so he took a, a program at the bottom and then be made it a conference championship level program. Grinnell is never in a position where they're really going to be a national championship contending program. So if we're comparing teams who would never get to that level playing a different style, why is that the same evaluative principle that people use to evaluate this style? Um, and then secondly, um, teams that are really good when they go to it, I think can elevate their program to another level. I think that's where 
the program hasn't been or the, the system or the style of play in the system hasn't been utilized before. It's just that teams that are really good haven't went to it as much to give us a, enough. There's just not enough people out there running it to say it's good or bad based off of uh, nobody winning it, winning with it at a high enough level. Um, it's taken teams who have struggled and made them very conference competitive. Um, and now we just need more teams who are really good to then use it to take it to an, to take it to another level. And I think we did that at Rhodes. Granted, we were only there doing it for two years, uh, but at Rhodes, you know, Rhodes had won two conference championships in the last five years before we had got there. And so we were a competitive program and won a conference championship before. Uh, and now we took it and we actually, even though we didn't win anything for state, I mean, we competed uh, that year. We made the NCAA tournament with the number one ranked team in the country was undefeated. And we played them to a single point game with a few minutes left in it before they eventually pulled away. Um, so I think as more teams actually try it who are previously successful, I think we'll see more success. With it. Well, coach, you, you mentioned Rhodes and you coached at Olivet and and you mentioned Grinnell, who is the originator of the Grinnell system and what we refer to as system basketball in general. Um, what, how are your system goals different than the Grinnell, of, of most Grinnell purists, where they use 100 shots, 53s, an offensive rebound percentage, a turnover number, and a plus minus on shots? I know, I know you do it a little different. Can you share with us how you came about your system goals at Rhodes? Sure. Um, yeah, we are, we are quite different than uh, traditional system teams in evaluating what they're trying to do in every game. So it, as I mentioned, we, uh, as very statistically driven. Um, and so when I got to Rhodes, uh, Coach DeGeorge had – um, his own ideas about the system. And now he coached as an assistant with Grinnell for a year and he saw some significant benefits to it. But we wanted to make every decision that we made backed by data that led to winning basketball games. Um, and so what we did is when uh, I got hired at Rhodes, uh, I created a database and we inputted, inputted every men's system game and at that time it was just Grinnell and and Redlands so we put every system game of their box scores into this database and then just basically uh used filters and ciphered through the data and just try to figure out exactly what led to them winning games what stats specifically um led to this and uh, so we, we found a few numbers that really stood out to us. Um, one of the first things was coach really felt that the, the number of fouls committed in a game was a huge factor from what he remembered. And he wanted to know if there were any foul discrepancies, anything with fouls that we could use. We went through all of it. What we found was in the fouling situation, if you committed uh, 25 fouls in a game or less as the system team, which 25 is still a lot, but there are so many more possessions in the game, it kind of averages itself out. 
but if you committed 25 fouls or less, you would win like 70 something percent of your games. I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but it's like 71, 72% of your games you would win. What we've, why we felt that that was so um, uh, important or, or just stood out so much is then if you took that to 26, you like dropped to only win like 50 something percent of your games. Um, and that drop off was so huge we thought, well, that's a good goal, right? I mean, if, if, if you just hit the 25, and we looked at only fouls, nothing else, no other factors in the game. Only fouls, when you got to 25, if you fouled 25 or less, you were going to win over 70% of your game. So that's where we used our first one. So that was really uh, kind of how that started. So we went from fouls. The other thing that we, we kind of thought was the two most important concepts in system basketball and I think all system coaches would agree with it, um, is that it's offensive rebounds and turnovers. Now, uh, uh, with the offensive rebounds, they use a percentage. Traditional system teams use a percentage. Um, we, again, we went through the stats. Uh, data showed that 35% was uh, that number. Um, basically, 38 37, 36, 35, it was all about the same. But if you got to 34, there was a significant drop off. So we just wanted to set it at 35. Now the turnover thing, tempo of play is so important. And we really felt, well, like we, let's say we have this number that's, I don't know, that we, our goal is to force 32 turnovers in a game. But then there's a game where there's only 80 something possessions because the other team is pulling, up, pulling it out and stalling. Like, is that really evaluating how well we're playing defense and trying to get steals if we forced, you know, not our, not our goal, but there's a lot less possessions? Or if we're playing a team who's running up and down with us, you know, and we have 115 possessions in the game and we forced 32 turnovers, well, that percentage isn't that good. So really, are we doing that good on defense? So we, instead of looking at number of turnovers, we wanted to use turnover rate or turnover percentage. So how many times are we turning the team over based off of 100 possessions? And again, the stats, the data came out and said, I think it was like, if you just did turnovers only, you would win like 67% of your games if you forced 29% turnovers. So that's how we settled on the turnover number. So now we have three significant goals here that we really found that data showed that these really impacted winning. Um, and uh, a couple of the stats were like, if you just hit your turnover goal, that was like 67% wins. If you just got your offensive rebounding goal, um, you won like 62% uh, of the games. If you combine your offensive rebound goal with that turnover goal, you won like 75% of your games or 80% of your games. So we found like those two things, if you could do two of those, you really were going to win a lot of basketball games playing in this style. Um, so from there, we then wanted to look on and use more advanced analytics as opposed to just saying shots. Um, what was it that, that really led to you being effective? Like they do shots and threes. Well, coach really didn't feel like just coming down and shooting threes was effective. Like what that, well, that just says you shoot a three. What if it's a bad three, right? Does that mean it's a good shot? for us or a shot that's gonna to lead to us winning just because it's a three-pointer. So he wanted more um, 
evaluative criteria on each possession that would that would lead to us winning games and that's kind of what led to us looking at points per possession so the short of that was basically we found that 1.15 on offense uh you were going to win a vast majority of the games if you got to 1.2 points per possession on offense uh, you were won over 95 percent of your game actually i think it maybe is 93 percent of your games and then on defense we found uh, the same way, if you could hold the team under to under 1.0 points per possession, um, you were gonna you were gonna win over 95% of your games, and that's kind of where we found our numbers. Um, so our goal is 1.15 on offense, 1.0 on defense, uh, and so those are our five main goals. Now, Coach DeGeorge and I would get into some heated debates about this before we settled on something. One of the things that I always wanted to, to talk about was the base of the pyramid was 100 shots. I'm like, we got to have a shot goal, though. Right now, we have nothing about pace of play. And pace of play is really one of the most vital factors in being successful at system. So I wanted shots. He didn't really want that. And we would argue about this back and forth, back and forth. And, and like, we would fight about this a lot. And eventually, we decided, well, let's, let's set a possession number then now we're not doing just random shots because he didn't want us to come down and shoot a shot just to shoot a shot but he knew we needed pace so we decided well let's look at possessions anyway worked out to be perfect long story short 100 possessions in a game tended to be that magic data number that we found so then we set that goal 100 possessions per game 1.15 points per possession on offense uh 1.0 defensive points per possession 35% offensive rebound rate, 29% turnover rate, and less than 25 fouls in a game. So those are our system goals that we try to accomplish every game. A little follow-up to that, me being a high school coach and going to run it for the first time and don't have all that data that we can really keep in-game, would you just kind of recommend to stick to the basic, like Grinnell, Olivet type system goals for a high school coach? Um, yeah, I'm not look at the stats after the game to determine your point possession. Well, let, let, let me, let, let me, let me ask you real quick. How, how in game are you getting those, your, your stat? How are you getting your fouls, your rebound rate, your turnovers, your shots and three, like, how are you getting that during the game? I haven't really thought about it that far, to be honest, but I'm probably going to have them doing a chart for rebounds, but then they would have to keep track of the other team's rebounds to get the offensive rebound percentage as well. So um, that's always going to be the toughest stat probably to, to do without looking at game film, like live. Um, do you agree with that, like the offensive rebounding percentage? Because if you don't know the other team's rebounds, you can't convert it. So For sure, right. Well, I'm just, I'm just curious. I mean, is there any kind of box score – that you use, and you're saying you're just gonna have somebody track them. Yeah, typically, before going system, I had my, I didn't make my coaches really do stats. They coached and did some things, but now they might be. I'm thinking they might just do the simple charts of some of the five statistics, keeping track of how many shots we take, how many threes we've gotten, how many times we've turned over the other team, and then maybe another one would be the other team's shot attempts, so that we could determine where our plus minuses maybe are for shot attempts. So I just think I love everything that you're talking about because being a, a dribble drive guy, I'm so into points per possession 
that's where I learned it from Vance a long time ago. And I believe that's the difference of winning and losing is your points per possession. But I just don't know how feasible it would be for a high school program. How do you guys keep that on the bench? Is it because you have box scores from, from your, the, the staff that you're available at a college level? Um, so a few things out there. And I want to push back on what you just said here a little bit. Now, I'm not here to tell you our way is better than keeping it the, the traditional way. I, I mean, that is totally what fits your style, what you think you, you want to use or can use. Um, but I think if you're keeping those five stats during a game without the availability of a box score, I don't think keeping the stats that I just mentioned, or actually I think it's probably going to be easier to do the stats our way. So, um, but again, whatever you want to keep, I think they're both effective, right? I think they're both effective. But if you were going to do it like our stats that we have, I would have, I, would, I, I don't need to track shots, right? I don't need to worry about it. All I'm worried about is our points. Well, the scoreboard and the books, the, the scorebook has our points. You need to track possession. So I would have a guy, every time we have the ball, boom, there's a tally. That's a possession. Boom, boom, right? Then you would track uh, and after you have possessions, you can now calculate your turnover rate. So track possessions. I would track how many turnovers our, our opponent had. So every time they turn the ball over, bam, there's a tally. I would track our foul. So every time we commit a foul, bam, there's a tally. And then, again, you would have to do uh, the same thing with the offensive rebound. You need, to, you need to keep your offensive rebounds and your opponent's defensive rebounds. And if you have a coach, and one coach can do all that. Every time, possession, boom, put a tally, and then you, know, then you can just do the rest. You don't need to keep track of a shot or score. So I think from that standpoint, I think you're actually keeping track of less on the bench. The only additional component to that that you need is you need that person to have a calculator next to him so he can say, oh, there's been 25 possessions right now. We've forced you know, 10 turnovers. All right, we're forcing 40% turnovers. You, know, I, you do need that extra piece to, to run the calculation, but that's it. Um, so I don't think that if you're having to keep track of, of any kind of stats during a game, I don't think that this is any more, um, any more difficult. I actually think it might be a little bit easier. Now, if you do have a box score and, and you're worried about possessions and stuff, there's a simple, a simple, simple formula you can use to get how many possessions have happened so far. Um, so I think there are ways to do it. But again, it's totally up to each individual coach. Um, and, and so here, let me give you an example. If, if you running system offense, if you really are focused on you want half your shots coming from three, if that's your, your primary dictate, and you think you're going to be coaching from a standpoint of, man, we're not getting enough threes, we're not getting enough threes, then you should do the, the 90 shots and 45 threes stat. Or whatever in high school is probably more like 80-40. Or, you know, but if you're somebody who's more not, want, doesn't care as much about is it a three or a two, you want the most points per possession, you're really trying to evaluate a possession based on how good the possession is, then I would lean to, more towards um, um, doing the points per possession stat. So it's really more your coaching style, what you're going to emphasize. Because if you don't, if you don't stat it, you're not going to emphasize it, and you don't want to emphasize things that you're not statting. So whatever you're, however you're coaching to emphasize it, I think that's the, the the direction you need to go with stat. We at Rhodes and at Pacific, 
I take that back. At Pacific, we do, but I'll get into that in a second why. But at Rose, we never worried and never coached a we're not shooting enough three standpoint. We're shooting too many three standpoint. Like, we never coached that at all. Our coach was how quickly can we get a good shot every time down the floor? And these what what we defined our good shots. Now we want to evaluate our, our points per possession on that. Um, so we never, never once did we mention, oh, we're not shooting enough threes. Oh, we're shooting too many threes. Oh, we're not shooting enough shots at the rim. It was all, you know, could we get the, a good shot each trip down the floor? And then the, the reason why that changed a little bit at Pacific, one of our issues at Pacific is uh, uh, we have not, talent-wise, have not had guys who can get to the rack and finish. Our, 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 um, our shot chart, our shooting percentages at the rim have been really poor. Um, the last two years at Pacific. So we actually were saying we want to be more of a 75% three-point shooting team to 25% two-point shooting team. Not because of – well, because of points per possession. Like, we would, we would be better if we shot more threes because we shot the ball like crap at the rim. So that's why we did emphasize that, but it was still more of a determination based off of uh, what our points per possession were. And you guys are still doing this – your roads – percentage stuff went to Pacific with you as well. Has it changed well, at all Pacific a little bit, the system goals, or is it still like you did at Rhodes? Um, our, when, when Coach Lunt uh, was at Puget Sound and he was on the phone with us as he tried to learn about what we did and, and how we did it and that, uh, we gave him our goals and told him why and, and everything. Um, those goals uh, have, have stayed the same from Rhodes to Pacific. The one, the one area of difference um, to keep in mind that we that is maybe slightly different is more of an emphasis. So um, it, it's where you put that defensive points per possession number. Um, the defensive points per possession should be 1.00, but there are times when we use a 1.15 number because you are going to be successful with that so that might be the one variance like when we're talking to our guy like or here's the example if you get to 1.0 points per possession on defense you are playing fantastic defense in system basketball okay the thing is we don't reach that a lot maybe like at, at, at Rose, we maybe hit that seven times out of 28 games, so like 25% of the time. Now we were 7-0 and in those games that we did it. But because it doesn't happen as often, we, we also sometimes use that 1.15 number defensively just so we have a, a, another area of evaluation. Even if we're not playing great defense, are we playing good defense? So if we fall past that 1.15 number, then we know, yeah, we, we did play good defense in that game for system ball. So that's kind of the only difference uh, that, that we maybe make when we look at our goal numbers. Well, you guys kind of are a little bit different on the system numbers than the traditional uh, system teams. And can you, can you tell us about how you came about with the offense? Because you guys are one of the few teams that employ the ball screen um, pretty regularly within your system. Um, I know it's not your main focus of scoring, but you guys have that avenue. Um, how did that? How did the ball screen um, offense for system come about? Um, oh wow, this is a 
is a long answer. Um, so one of uh, Coach DeGeorge's philosophies when we got to Rhodes was he believed that defense is what actually sets the tempo. Um, he, and he still kind of says this too, talking about system stuff. He just says like offense is offense. Like you're coming down the floor trying to get, get a good shot every time you can. I mean, that should be your goal, right? So he wanted us to try to get a good shot on offense and not just shoot a shot to shoot a shot for quickness sake. Mm -hmm. um, so we, he believed that we, he, we were going to try to get a good shot every time down and use the defense to set the tempo. And you set the tempo by how aggressive you are and what you're willing to give up on defense. So because of that philosophy, we felt that two things. One, we, we never wanted to be in a situation where in system play, usually attacking a set defense is the toughest way for your offense to try to get a good basket, to try to get a basket or a good shot, right? Is against a set defense. Conversely, we also felt that the easiest press for our opponent to score against was our missed shot press. So we did not want to get into the situation where we were coming down against a set defense, taking a bad shot just to get a quick shot off and then being in our worst press. So them scoring and then, and then us attacking the hardest thing for us to do offensively and get into those situations. So we wanted to avoid that at all costs. So the second thing that we also, and it fits that first point, but the second point that we talked about is look in a system game, there are going to be runs you're going to have a lot of big runs on your behalf and a lot of bad runs you know, against you. So how can we hold on to the good and minimize the bad runs? How can we minimize those 11-point swings? How can we do it? Well, what we believe there's one way to do it, to minimize the bad, is to stay out of those scenarios where we're at our worst as much as possible. So how do we – say we come down, right, we take that shot and we miss and we're in our worst press and they score and then we come down again and we miss and now they're in our worst press and they score. Well, how do you break that? Take a good shot that you can make. And, and, and we valued that over just coming down the floor and shooting a shot just to get a quick shot off. And we felt we could still maximize good runs that way because we were still going to shoot those three-pointers quickly if we had an open good shot. We were never going to just come down and not shoot a good shot if we had it. So we were going to shoot a good shot. We weren't going to say just shoot a – we weren't going to allow you to shoot a bad shot just to shoot a shot. And, and that's where the difference comes in. So if we are coming down to shoot a good shot every time, um, we were still going to maximize our good run because our good runs mainly came from what our defense created anyway. Um, so that was the philosophy and how we, we wanted to be a little more conservative on offense uh, in terms of the, quick, the, the, the timing that we took to get a shot. Our goal is to get the first quickest good shot we could get. So that's kind of how that aspect uh, came up. Uh, the, the ball screen aspect of it. Um, you know, 
there's there's a lot to this. Um, no, the first thing, and just my my background first before um, before I get into Coach DeGeorge's background, how this happened. Uh, number one, uh, after coaching, I talked to you about coaching with, with Coach Doug Bruno, and he was so detail oriented. And we talked one time about uh, ball screens in general, nothing like really in depth. Um, but he did talk about in ball screen defense, we were talking about ball screen defense and he was talking about location on the floor of, of the ball screen and how that affects your defensive coverage. And I got started to think about that. Well, that next year, I really, I'm like, okay, that made a lot of sense. So he didn't just, not every ball screen was equal, right? A prefix says, where is the ball screen being set? So then I'm like, okay, well, let's look at, let's classify ball screens by where they are. So we have baseline ball screens, we have side ball screens, we have top or mid ball screens, we have high ball screens. Um, so let's classify each ball screen by where it's set on the floor and how that affects everything going on around it. Well, then I kind of, and to be honest, I was listening to, to talk radio, talking about the Bulls and, and, and Derek Rose and, uh, and he just brought up a, 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 a point of what type of ball screen needed to be set with Derrick Rose. And they just talked about a brush ball screen. Derrick Rose was super athletic. And they were talking about how what one of the Bulls' problems was at that time is they were running pick and rolls, and their screener was coming up and stopping and loading up and setting a ball screen. And the guys were talking about, you know, with, with some NBA guy, I don't remember what NBA analysts they were talking with about. But they mentioned that Derek Rose is so athletic that actually by running a ball screen where you're allowing the defense to get set, it's actually limiting his space to get by his guy. And they started talking about, well, that's why you run brush ball screen. So if your ball handler is really athletic, you, you want to just brush by and make guys be chasing. So anyway, that led to me thinking, well, okay, if that's a brush ball screen, what are some other ways you can set ball screen? So that led into another classification. So anyway, this whole year, I really dove into ball screen offense. And what I learned was, um, A, uh, where the ball screen is set. So uh, um, where the ball screen is set, you classify it in that way. What type of ball screen is set? And I learned there are really three ways to set ball screens. All right, you can set a triple threat ball screen where you know the offensive guy is set he may be dribbling, but he's not moving anywhere. He's just set waiting for it. And the, the, the screener comes, loads up, sets a ball screen. That's a triple threat ball screen. Or you can set what I just termed a dribbling ball screen. Um, but that's where you, if you have a really athletic um, ball handler, but your, your roll man is a little more slower afoot. If you try to run a brush ball screen, if he's slower afoot, that defensive guy can get out and get back because your role man just isn't athletic enough. So what you do in those situations is you want to run a dribbling ball screen where you just set the screener in a location on the floor, and then you just let your handler use his athleticism to get his defender off balance and then find you an attack. And that way, if he's more athletic, bam, he can just manipulate that defender and he has more, more opportunity to reject. So you can really use it that way. And then the last type of ball screen is a brush ball screen. These are really effective when both guys are athletic 
and you just come up and get that defense chasing, um, and then you break off of it before you actually set it. Um, so anyway, those are so the, those are the types. You can have dribbling, triple threat, or brush, wear on the floor. And then the last part I really started to learn as I studied more was the screening angle. So how do you screen the defender of the handler based on the capabilities of the offensive player? Um, and, and I learned specifically about angles, and we classified them in the beginning like uh, um, a 90-degree angle or a 45-degree angle. Um, that then later turned into T's and L's. But basically, with the, so you wanted to set angles a certain ways based on, on uh, the type of handler you have coming off of it. So I really learned those three components. So this made me fascinated with ball screen offense, right? And, and I always say, whatever you start to learn, when you first kind of learn that first layer, it becomes so interesting because you see things you never could see before because now you know more about it and know more why it works. You become more of a Nostradamus, so to speak, because you know what's going to happen because you know more about what's happening in that moment. So I really just started to become fascinated with ball screen offense at this point. That's my evolution. Coach DeGeorge's evolution, um, his first, when he first got the, the head coaching job at Rhodes, uh, he, there was a guy named Rondo Dubois, head men's basketball coach right now at UC Santa Cruz. Uh, Dubois was an MBA assistant for years. Um, anyway, eventually he, the whole staff at Memphis got fired. Uh, he was wanting to look to get more into D3 basketball. Because uh, he had a family and a wife and, and wanted to go that route. Coach DeGeorge needed an assistant in his first year there. They hook up. Well, now you have an NBA assistant on his staff. So on his first staff at Rhodes, he's got an NBA assistant. And, and like he would tell me, they would sit there and argue about ball screens forever because that's what the NBA does. That's what they were doing. Dubois knew so much about ball screens that they just started. He really learned. And they developed their own continuity ball screen offense that they ran when they played a slower style. So now me getting there, me having a background of loving ball screens, being fascinated with the intricacies of the pick and roll, Coach DeDore basically running NBA style pick and rolls for the first uh, uh, six years of his career at, at Rhodes, um, led into us thinking, okay, how can we utilize this thing that we both know how to teach really well, that we both think can be effective, and can we use it with a, an up-tempo style? Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but, but didn't a guy named uh, – um, oh, shoot, well, I'm not forgetting his name right now. Oh, a, a guy named Steve Nash run pick and rolls in an offense called seven seconds or less? I mean – Oh, yeah. We've – this probably can go on all night, Matt, but with the ball screen stuff and the pistol action that you like and – we brought it up on other clinics that we've done. Um, I've always asked, I think I've asked this question to you and people, why couldn't Mike D'Antoni's stuff be ran in a system system offense? Is it not enough players, not enough ball handlers? I mean, why, why don't you think more people run it the way the Suns run it for like system? Is it people just don't like, they think it's too complicated to run ball screens or what do you think? Um. Well, two, two things. One, if your offense relies solely on, on pistol stuff, it, pistol, I, even watching a lot of D'Antoni stuff, 
um, pistol doesn't pistol in and of itself really doesn't create shots for people. Mm-hmm. It's it puts people in positions to create shots. And I do think as you get to like more high school teams and college teams, I really think coaches are looking for things that will help them create shots and not just putting in players where they have an advantageous opportunities to create the shot. So that's one. Second, and this is kind of what goes to like our evolution on the pick and roll, like um, pick and roll. I think people think it's way too complicated to teach. And so just if, it, if pick and roll is too complicated to teach or too methodical to teach, how is that going to be effective with this up-tempo breakneck style of offense if something is a little more methodical to teach? So I think that's more the issue. I think it's more of a, of a teaching issue or thoughts of a teaching issue um, than it is that people don't necessarily think it can be done. I mean, and that's just my opinion on, on it. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and – I believe you mentioned you've been you've been a coach at Olivet. You've done Knox. You did Knox. Was Knox system as well? Yeah, Knox was system. Knox was the Porter. Knox, a high school stint. Um, the George and the George at Knox. Or I'm sorry. Uh, shoot. Rhodes. I, I, I got lost there. Rhodes, Lynx. <laughs> uh, and now you're at Pacific. So. What were your views of the system on it before coaching under Coach Porter at all of that? Like, how did you think, did you know about the system? Did you think it was like crazy out there, weird, like most people do? Um, how did your, what were your views like on it before you started coaching in the system? Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, uh, I thought, I thought it was, I'm not going to say crazy. I didn't think it was crazy. I thought it was very unique um, because a, a couple things, when, when I was coaching all those travel teams and just from my playing career, one of the, I, I wanted to press. Like um, I wanted to press. I wanted to play fast. I, I love that part of it. Um, so I, I thought it was unique that he would do, could do it at this level. Um, and actually, um, Tim Cohen is the guy's name. He coached uh, travel ball with me. And he is like one of the, the biggest pressers you would ever meet. He thinks pressing, and he was a high school girls coach in Illinois. He thinks pressing is everything, you know, and, and he was my coach and we did it together one year. And um, so I love that part of it. Now we didn't do it like that with the trapping everywhere. We just did it in the backcourt. Um, so I thought it was unique. When I coached against it for the first time, what, I, what blew me away was the speed at which the players executed their stuff. The, the, the speed, the tempo that they, I'm telling you, I'm on the floor level. And I always wanted to play fast. And we played fast, but we weren't like system fast. But I wanted to be on offense, but I, I could never get my players to play that fast, you know. And I'm sitting on the floor level, and I see us make a shot. And I'm telling you, the second that ball hit the net, I would see two wings stop and be in an all-out sprint to the corners like they're running a 100-meter dash. I would see them run half-court offense, sprinting everywhere they go. And I'm like, how in the world 
is this happening? So I thought it was really unique. Obviously, like everybody else, I didn't know how successful it could be on the grand scale, on the grand scheme of things. Um, but then I, I saw that, and a lot of people I know are turned off by it. I thought what would happen was incredible. I didn't understand it. I didn't know all the intricacies of it. But I thought how fast he was getting his kids to play created so many advantages all over the floor that I wanted my girls to be able to play that fast, you know? And, and so I, I thought it was unique. Um, I liked the idea of playing fast. I didn't know if it could work. I didn't think it could work at that level with all the number of players that they played. That was kind of probably my biggest drawback before I got into it was having to play so many players in a game and being successful at a high level, not playing the style, but having to play so many players. And then I saw him and I'm like, this is really fascinating. I still have the same hangups, but there might be something to this. Um, and then I actually bumped into coach Porter that summer and we were just recruiting at a recruiting event. And I just, we just started talking about it and, and, and I learned a lot about his um, philosophies and his ideas and why he does it and, and why he thinks it works, um, which kind of led to more of my, uh, evolution in it um let's go talk about a little bit about your experience of doing it at the high school level because i know i'm a high school coach and i know a lot of the people a lot of the questions come from the high school levels for for us as what did you do when you became a high, high school head coach and why did you run the system um so i i got the high school head job at south Elgin. they had one um uh, five games. They were five and 23 the year before I got there. Um, and uh, they averaged like 43 points per game, maybe. I mean, they, they played a lot of pack line and, and ran a lot of set plays, really just tried to keep games close and then try to ex out execute teams at the end of games. Yeah. Um, and so when I went in there, I knew that I wanted to run components of, of, the system. Um, my issue in the beginning with the varsity, I didn't want to go all system completely rotating 15 guys five in five out because I, I thought people would think that's crazy. I'm an untenured teacher. I mean, it's a first, you know, untenured teacher, this coach who's never been a head coach before, never really coached in high school before. I mean, my high school coaching experience was back in 2007 to 2000, or no, 2003 to 2006 or something like that. Um, so I wanted to build or have respect in, in the school building, respect in the coaching community and respect in our South Elgin community before I, I really went all out to it. But I was gonna implement as much of it as I could, um, as fast as I could. So what I did, uh, we went system ball with the freshmen only my first year. And then the sophomores, they played more, just ran our stuff at the varsity level, but that guy didn't really understand the system stuff. So he just did it slower. Uh, and then at the varsity level, we played 12 guys, you know, anywhere from 10 to 12 guys. And we pressed all game, every game, ran up-tempo offense. Um, but didn't necessarily do five for five every 35 seconds to a minute. I, we would sub two in at a time. Whenever I felt like guys were tired, um, 
And then my second year, we then had our sophomores were all out system. My freshmen were all out system. And then we kind of did our hybrid style um, uh, of play. My, so my first year there, uh, the way I started it, and I let everybody know right away, look, for this to work in the end, not even years from now, but this year, one, when the second I got there, my first day on the job, we had a, a meeting with all the players, the community, um, the, the, the coaching staffs, and I, I basically laid out, like, you, know, you won five games last year, but I started talking about regional championships, which regional Illinois was the first level of championships you could get in the postseason. And I said, basically laid out the, the, the framework of at the end of the year, we're going to be competing for regional championships. But in the beginning of the year, we have to lay the groundwork and the foundation of us being the probably the most up-tempo high school team any of you have ever seen before. And then I just laid out, with that comes A, B, C, D, E, and laid out what, what's going to go wrong in the beginning of the year doing this. But I wanted, I thought for us to be successful, even at the end of that year, we were going to have to play as close to a system team in the beginning of the year as possible. And I felt for me to still have buy-in and belief in what we were doing when things looked really ugly, not just, not just from a team doing this before, what they've never done, but a team was one of the most conservative teams in the state to now going to being one of the most aggressive, if not the most aggressive team in the state. Um, I thought they needed to understand where and how it was going to look bad. Um, so I did it. We started the year where we, uh, we ran, we, we pressed um, on press, uh, regular all out pressing stuff on defense. Uh, we did play uh, all out pressure, half court man to man. So our, our general rule in the beginning of the year was uh, press on, on makes everywhere. Um, on misses, we were going to go full court man to man back into an all out pressure man to man. Does that make sense, Mark? Like, do you follow? Yeah, I'm following you. Okay. So then that was what we did on defense. And then on offense, we, we ran transition, eventually flowing into kind of what I would call an up-tempo Princeton-style offense. It wasn't exactly Princeton offense per se, but it was the Princeton principles in more of a motion setting, what led our guys to kind of free play out of it a little bit and do a lot more cutting early. So, because I felt when I implemented the Princeton stuff, I really felt we could keep tempo if we did cutting first. A screen slows down offense. Cutting just keeps people running at full speed, but that's what I wanted. I wanted guys to run as fast as they could everywhere. So every action out of the Princeton that we put in, it was all about cut. So let me give you an example. And the Princeton, there, 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 there are uh, five phases in Princeton. We, we only used uh, uh, four of them. So, but the low post phase in Princeton, right? One thing you can do in the low post is you hit the low post guy and you run an elbow action, which usually is there's a screen at the elbow and then they split off of it. And well, I'm like, I want to run that, but again, they're going to have to jog to set it up, stop. Jog. So I'm like, okay, that's too slow in the beginning of the year. So we just ran, would run Laker action. So if they hit the low post, they would dive through hard and everybody fill the next spot just to keep tempo going. Another aspect would be that pinch post phase where 
the ball goes from the right wing to the top of the key, the post on the right block flashes to the elbow. Yeah. So then say that top. Like, does it flow into the ball screen stuff, the point series or elbow series? It, it's a traditional point series. Okay. So let's say we hit the point guy. What, what's the quickest option out of this? Well, we would do the cut and fill. Like we would just cut and fill in the beginning. Then we eventually added the away option. Yeah. The under and over took too long because you're cutting and then he's waiting for like the screens ahead. No, we want you to get it immediately get into an away action. So we implemented that with um, every action being as fast as possible. And then once I thought we played at tempo, then we started getting into screening action and it slowed down the pace of what we're doing offensively, but we were way more efficient. And, and, and what we did in the beginning of the year, I didn't teach any half court offense in the beginning of the year. It was all break and, and um, we, we, we practiced for two weeks, had a week full of games. Our third week, we were now three and two, averaging about 88 points per game. Uh, we're three and two, going to play uh, Bartlett, who is our rival. We're one and oh in conference. People are like, oh man, this, you know, we're, they're averaging this many points. This team is going to be fun to watch, right? Well, we go to play Bartlett. And Bartlett was good, was good that year. They weren't great, but they were good. But the coach said, all they do is run transition. Like, I'm, and we had Princeton stuff in, but it was all just kind of cutting around. And we were getting shot so quick that we never really had to get deep into half-court offense ever. He's like, I'm not going to cross the board. We shoot it, I'm going to send four guys back. Um, literally attacked a set defense every time down unless we were able to force the turnover. And so we, we lost by like 25 points or something. We just couldn't get anything because all we could get was transition and they kept four guys back. Um, and that after that game, I was very positive with our guys. I said, look, remember I said this was going to happen. You know, now let's, let's move forward from here. And then we started to kind of get more into the uh, half court offensive stuff out of it. And then from there, defensively, we kind of started to see where our pieces were and what guys were good at, and then developed a pressing scheme that we thought fit our guys. Um, so by the end of the year, we became uh, a regular on team that, that didn't deny, but, but played inside out and just tried to force catches in the corner. Um, so we, that's what we did in on situations. Then we had, two, we had uh, uh, three different presses. We had what we call black and blue, which was a 2-2-1. One was a, our aggressive 2-2-1 was all out denial. Two, two, one, and then we had more of a uh, uh, let them get it, and then trap two, two, one, and then we had a, a, a an aggressive one, two, two. So we would mix up those four presses um, throughout the rest of the year. And actually, once we did that, uh, our defense went to another level because now our two guys, who are our most athletic kids, but like would never play the the, the reader or the interceptor, you know, so to speak, spot good. They were just would let people buy them. We put them at the front of the press and they were just great. Cause like if somebody went right by them, it didn't care. We actually had guys who could corral behind them and it worked out perfect for us. So that's, um, that's, that's how it evolved. That's interesting coach, because without giving you a lot of details is at Pacific, you guys aren't the normal defensive system-ish team either. You guys run a lot of varieties in your presses. Um, Knowing that what you know now, you've done this eight years, you've been under four to five different system coaches. Um, 
what would you advise for like the newbie system coaches on installing? Um, would you stick to the basic presses, only put a couple in? What, what would you advise to, to us newer high school coaches that are going to implement the system? Mm-hmm. Would you stick with on? I mean, how many would you, how many would you, do you think would be, would you probably put in if, if you were going to do it again at the high school level? Yeah, I think um, even before implementing anything, I think the most important thing uh, for anybody trying to go to this is you personally, as a basketball coach, you have to be all in that system basketball will work for you and your program. You have to be all in. You can't be, you know, three quarters of the way and I'm in and I, but I want to see how it's going to go against the best teams that we play. Cause if you have that self doubt, your players, maybe not even consciously, but subconsciously, they're going to know you don't completely believe in its efficacy. Therefore they're going to back off. And then when they back off, cause you're not bought in, you're going to back off. And eventually you end up in this middle area, which is a disaster. So my biggest piece of advice would be, if you're going to do this, go all in, 100% all in, constantly evaluate and analyze and make little uh, uh, changes here or there and tweaks, but commit yourself to, to those formula goals, that system style of play from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. At the end of the year, your season's over, you want to now go back and reevaluate, is this right for me and my coaching style? Is this right for my program? Then go ahead and do it at the end of the year. But you're doing yourself a disservice. You're doing your players a disservice if you're not 100% completely bought in. The other thing I would say, too, before we talk a little bit about implementation of, of X's and O's, um, be willing to accept that you are going to give up some layups. And if you're on the boys' side, potentially dunks. I'm not saying you have to be happy that it happened, but you have to accept that that is a, a, a component of playing this aggressive defensively. You can't play this aggressive defensively and then take away all those layups. It can't happen. It won't happen. You're not going to be successful defensively if that's in, in your mind. Um, again, you can try to think about how can I tweak my press or how can I get my players better at it to, to take to not give up so many layups or dunks but if you don't accept that that those situations are going to happen uh, you won't last system ball for the year uh, to get into a couple of the x's and o's of it um, defensively with the presses as you were asking about in the beginning of the year when you first implement this stuff you have to put in the most aggressive press that you have You've got to put, and you've got to put in that and that only in the beginning of the year. Um, You have to be playing with ultra aggressiveness and at tempo before you can start to do things that could potentially alleviate that aggressiveness or tempo at all. Um, Because what's going, what happens is um, you have to have unwavering belief. And, and your ability to teach it and the player's ability to be successful at it. And if things go, and I don't even want to say go bad, it doesn't have to go bad, but if things maybe go wrong, a certain situation goes wrong, and then you change what you're doing, not try, 
and maybe I don't know how to explain this well enough, not trying to get better at something, but if you just change something, your players are going to lose a little belief in what you were pitching to them in the first place. And that is just a disaster that will go downhill. So I think all out your most aggressive press in the beginning, when they have that at a pace, not that they execute it right, not that it's successful all the time, but when they execute it with aggression and tempo that they need to, now you can maybe start adding a, a couple other presses. And, and, and that's a whole other topic if you want to talk about other ideas of presses. But I'm saying when I'm talking about another press, I'm talking about what technique are you using? So are you going from on and are you denying? Or are you playing inside out? Those are different presses. They do different things. Then you can ask some of that. Or are you doing a stay where you're going to do a run and jump? Um, Again, uh, my different presses that I'm talking about is changing uh, how you guard the inbound players, how you guard that inbound pass, and then where and how you're setting your first trap. That's all that I think would be different. Um, after you get to a point to where those things, your players, again, are at an aggressiveness level and a tempo level that is acceptable, now you can maybe start talking about now I'm setting up specific presses that maximize each player's, you know, individually. Like I talked about where we went to this 2-2-1 two, two, aggressive press where we put our two most athletic players in the front because they wouldn't keep anybody in front of them. You know, and then let them just do their thing with their feet and deny all over. And if they got inbounded, they went right by them and they just went right into our second level. Great. Those guys weren't going to keep anybody in front of them anyway. Now you can make some of those adjustments. But they have to have your initial presses at an ultra-aggressive, ultra-tempo uh, pace. And the other part of this that I think is important to, to, to mention if you are focusing most of your time in the beginning of the year when you implement your presses on um, the formation of your presses, the shape, so to speak, are we maintaining this diamond? Are we maintaining uh, our one, two, two? Are we running a two, two, one? You're doing it wrong because your players are going to default to being in those positions and spots and not playing with ultra aggressiveness. You know, the first thing I would do, and I, and I did it, we did it at Rhodes. I did it at South Elgin. I would do it again. The first thing I would do defensively, my first introduction to them in the press, um, I would do three on three inbound denial. That's it. We're going to be in deny. This is the technique of how you deny. When the players move, you shift your body angle. So you're maintaining, you know, you or Offensive player, you, then ball. Um, you guys deny. You switch all screens, whatever. On the ball, um, five count. One, two. Do you get a five? Once the ball's enter, bam, you're off. Next group, step on. Offense to defense, defense to out. Boom, next group in. Five seconds. And I would, I would even move on from that until those players are getting four and five counts on a consistent basis. Hey, and, and like I told my guys, I just said, uh, yeah, I would love to work on our, our rotations in the press. I would love to. But you know what? If you can't get those guys on the inbound feeling nervous and uncomfortable because you can't deny them for two seconds, what are our rotations going to matter? Um, so that's what the first thing I would do is re- I would just spend time doing it. Then after I do that, my next thing would be, okay, we're going to work on the first trap. 
Ball's in, we trap. Can he set the trap in time? Guy dribbles up, boom, blow the whistle. Next group, here you go. You guys are sprinting up, offense to defense, defense out, next group in. Can we get that first trap set? Can you get a steal off the first pass? Now, I would put a rule in on, like, say the, 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 it's three on three, that third guy, he can't just run down the floor. Like, I would say the pass has got to be, you know, in front of half court or something. Or, um, or I would even maybe go three on four. And so that fourth guy rotates from the inter interceptor position to get that last pass. Now they're all covered. Can you make your rotations fast enough to get a steal in your rotation? So I would do stuff like that in the beginning. Like the shape of your traps, the shape of your press are all important, but it's not as important, especially in the beginning of the year, as getting your players to play with all-out aggression at all-out pace, using their hands, their mouth, their eyes to create deflections, tips, steals. And, and, and I think that's of utmost important. We, we do that in my basketball program. We do. We, we handicap the defense. We handicap the offense in our two-on-two, three-on-three uh, press breakdown drills. We have a two-on-two -two rugby drill and a three-on-three -three hockey drill. So, we, so that they can't just throw the ball over their heads across midcourt so it gets them aggressive. Um, hey, uh, how many times do we as basketball coaches, we do offensive advantage drills Three on two. Sometimes we put in five on O offense, right? And then we go five on three. So you guys, why don't we do that in the defensive end then? Right? I mean, if we're going to give offensive advantage drills to get better, give defensive advantage drills to get better, you know? True. Um, um, since you did it in the high school level, um, and a lot of the people seeking out information, I know um, on the Zoom calls that – Zoom clinics that we're doing. It's a lot of high school coaches, some some college coaches, but um, you did it at the high school level, not very long, but you've now done it eight years um, associated with the system. Did you do anything special? Because this is one of the biggest criticisms of system basketball or things that is difficult for coaches is trying to get the buy-in from the administration, the parents in the program, and the players. Did you do anything special at Elgin when you were the high school coach? To, did you do anything or did you just kind of just say, here's our system and we're just rolling it out? Did you, or did you go seek? Because I know the book advises to do things, uh, Coach Porter and Coach Smith's uh, coaching book. Um, is there anything you did or would you, now that you know about it, have any ideas or suggestions for us coaches? Um, so, a couple things. One, um, now this might have been uh, naivety on my part, but I really believed with all my heart that one, if I had was the coach of the team and we were playing this kind of style, you know, maybe not all out system per se, but just this kind of style, I believe we would win a championship. Like I believed in my abilities enough and this style of play enough to where I, I thought we, I thought we were going to go win a championship. I, I really did. So when I spoke to everybody, I think, I think everybody got that sense that this is like, like, yeah, I'm motivated. Like this is okay. He believes in it. He, he's not selling me something like he really believes this could work. So that was part of it. Um, when we were going through the interview process <clears throat> and it's funny, I mean, to, to get the high school head coaching job was crazy. I mean, I, the, the, the PE teaching job was like the full-time, you know, 
$40,000 a year job, right? That's the full-time job, right? I went through two interviews. To get the part-time head basketball coach at the school, I went through five interviews <laughs> to get the basketball coaching position. Was there, a, was, there a, was there a parent and a player at the interview? There, there was one interview with players. There were no interviews with parents. No, I didn't have parents. Here's the funny part. When you interviewed as a teacher for the job, teaching job, there was no students in the interview, right? No, but there, no, 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 it was, it was teachers and administration. That was it. You know what I'm asking. It's like, yeah, yeah. you have a player involved in the coaching. Yeah. That's another topic, but uh, <laughs> um, go ahead, coach. Yeah, no. So uh, <laughs> I never thought of it that way. I like that analogy though. <laughs> um, so going through the interview process, I, um, we never really talked about X's and O's, which was, which was good, but I did, I, I tried to give the best possible spin to them on it when I tried to explain what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and then when I got the job and we started the summer, I, I invited the AD to come in and, it, and now I had a summer camp first. Um, but I invited the, the AD and I'm like, I want you, and not only the AD, but my PE director, I was a PE teacher, that my PE director, I invited him in, I'm like, I want you to watch me run a camp. You know, and, we, and we weren't doing system that summer, we were just putting, and we were doing fundamental. I mean, we needed fundamental. We did fundamentals, taught them some basic offensive system S principles, just one transition. Our press literally was just, just go, trap the ball. Like that's all, I mean, we didn't really get into that, but we ran a very fundamental camp. And so I brought him in right away. I'm, I'm like, watch me teach a camp. Watch me run a camp. So they sat there for a couple of days and they watched me run a camp and they were like, oh, I ain't questioning this guy. This is incredible. Like, I mean, they just, okay, not doing it. But the other thing I did um, then with uh, the or the other, like the, the I'm not going to say administration, but the, the, the school community, you know, the teachers and other administrators and all that, um, I, I would, I would talk to them, um, about why I, I believe that it would work. And I would sit down and I would talk to them. Like, I would literally go to, I'm like, you have any questions for me? Like, and after they didn't really in the beginning, because they didn't understand, they just thought, yeah, you're going to press like everybody's, you know, you press run fat. We know, you know, but then when they saw it, and they're like, oh man. And actually some of them didn't even see it. Some of them just, some of them just saw the scores in the newspaper. Um, and, and my biggest critic was the, was the former head football coach who would sit down with me every day and tell me like, Matt, like I know you're young and you got energy, but you really got to learn how to teach defense. I mean, and he would literally say that to me every day. And, and, and but I, I never got mad. mad. I, I listened. I, I agreed with them. I, I and I just tried to explain why I thought it would work. So that was what I did with like the school community, really try to explain the best I could what this was, what they were going to watch, or if they were watching it, what they were, you know, what they were looking at and why it would work. Um, then what I tried to do with them and the, the community of uh, the school community, the players, the parents, uh, just regular community in the school is I really not only did I tell them where I thought we would be at the end of the year but I really wanted them to know that it could go bad for a while mm -hmm. and so I really explained how it could go bad 
why it would go bad, when it would go bad, and then why though that's going to lead to it being better at the end of the year. And my first, my first introduction, when they introduced me to the community as the new head boys basketball coach, I, I told them, and I started it with talking about being in that regional championship game and shooting a free throw to win the game. And this is where we're gonna be. This is how, and then, then I went, but, this is what it's going to take to get here. This is the adversity that we're going to go through to get there. I wanted to lay out the most difficult moments first. So that I really was transparent with them um, about the difficulties that we were going to face. Um, so two things from that. One, uh, I got lucky because it literally went the way I said it was going to go. And that was just by pure, I didn't even know who we were playing. I didn't know how good the other teams were at the time. I mean, just knowing that we were going to struggle in the beginning. And, and sure enough, so once I think they saw that it struggled, well, one, that they saw they have success, some success. Um, they loved that. And then when they, where we struggled, when I said that, oh, we're going to struggle. But then they already heard that there was a plan to fix that struggle. I got more patience with everybody. Um, and secondly, I took over a team that was averaging 43 points per game. When they heard me say, we're going to score 100 points in a game this year, they were like, hell yes, let's play this, man. I, I want to score 100. Are you kidding me? Let's go score 100 points, you know? And, and so they were excited. And so they were so pumped and excited about it. Um, so those were, that's kind of what I did um, with, with them. The thing that we did at Rhodes is where the analytics came in. And at Rhodes, we really broke down why this works from a very detailed number standpoint. Now, our students at Rhodes were extremely smart. You know, everybody on our team had over a 25 ACT score. Mm -hmm. So, like, they loved, that, they loved the number part of it, right? So, they, they, they bought in because of the numbers. I would just recommend whatever you think would speak home to your players, um, figure out how you can make it look appealing with that. Let me give you one last example. Um, one other thing I did with my best players, because I believed that my best, if my best players bought in, I could get the rest of the team to buy. I mean, it's high school, right? Follow the leader. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I printed out um, four, Grin Green Grinnell, uh, four Grinnell box stores. And I believe they were from the Jack Taylor era, I believe. Um, and I had three, four, one, two, three. I had four guards on my team um, who were all probably going to be the top scorers on the team. And I brought them in individually, um, one at a time. And I, and I highlighted certain things on the box score. I highlighted number of total shots. I highlighted the final score. Um, I highlighted the number of three-point team attempts. Then I highlighted the number of, like, the top three three-point attempt takers in each game. And basically, I just was trying to lay out, like, look, if we play like this, this is what your stats could be. I mean, how would you like to play in a system where, yeah, look, you're playing 23 minutes. But look, would you want to shoot – you know, 53 pointers in a game, you know, I mean, is that something, you know, you want to do, look at what the third and, and like the kid who was going to be our fourth, uh, our fourth option. 
who's coming off the bench. He was our fourth option. And look, look at what, the, look at what their fourth option. Look how many threes he got. Would you be happy if you got five three-point shots a game? And he was like, why? Yeah. But let's take – I'm like, all right. So basically, I broke down the box score for each individual guy showing, like, look at what your – look what you could be. Look how many shots you could take. Look how many points you could score. Um, you know, look at what the score is. Then I'm like, look at what their record was. And I showed them because it was a good year for Grinnell, the, the year that I used. And I'm like, look, and look, you went 5-23. and 23. This team's doing it, right? Look at their numbers. This is what you could do. Um, we can have that kind of record. And, and I just tried to, because I know they were all three-point shooters. They were short, little, little guys. You know, one was 5'6". The other was 5'. He said he was 5'11". The little kid was 5'8". He was not 5'11". He would actually beg me to put six foot on the on the on his on the program, and I'm like six foot. Like you're five. I just measured you. You're five eight. He's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to be intimidating if I'm six foot. I'm like, no, nobody's going to see you at six foot and still think you're intimidating. But I had five six, five eight, five ten, and then maybe six foot. I had those four guards, and they love shooting threes. And I knew they love shooting threes, so I presented it to them individually in a way it was like look at what this can do for you shooting threes and they bought in I want to say they loved it I had issues with one player playing defense who was you know and he me he had some issues uh was on the bench a lot didn't get to play a lot and he eventually bought in and uh was the catalyst uh to us making the sweet 16 that first year in the state of Illinois you know there are still articles in the Daily Herald and the Chicago Sun-Times about how unbelievable of a postseason this this kid had, and um, so that's how I try to get by. And as I tried to do it in those few different ways, and I don't know what way would work for each team, but I would recommend what what is it that your kids like about playing, and then try to figure out how you can tailor uh, your ideas to to prove it, and then bring some data. It doesn't have to be the roads or the Pacific Pyramid with oodles and oodles of of, of sophisticated data, but it can be just a little bit of uh, something to back up the, the, the talk a little bit. Um, what, what do you feel at the high school level? The game's a little bit shorter. It's only 32 minutes, um, and we play four quarters. We don't have half, so you got a little bit more rest time and stuff like that. What would be your ideal roster size for running the system for a high school team? Well, my ideal is always 15. Always 15. I mean, actually, if I could get more than 15, I would love more than 15. Just because, I, not so much because of playing, um, but practice. Okay. I, I mean, you need to get it right. You need, okay, so in a high school, uh, you can get away with playing 12. I think 13 would be ideal because I, really I really think the two positions that you can get away with for an entire game of them going, you know, shift on, shift off, shift on, shift off, is uh, your, your trail guy. You know, the guy at the back of the rim who's not having to run a whole lot, and then your on-ball guy. Because your on-ball guy really should never – he's trapping, but he's never really running all 94 feet, right? Yeah, he's putting above the three-point line to the basket, basically. Yeah, right, because he's denying the lag. So I, I think those two positions – so I think ideally 13. I think you can get away with it with 12. But I do think you need 15 um, – guys in a practice because you want your top two groups to be able to do it all out as much as possible and then you need a third group 
that you can run as a control style team who can just allow them to work on stuff. It, um, the hardest thing that we have doing this, that um, not as hard at South Belgium, but still a challenge, but really hard at Rhodes and Pacific, is having you're spending all this time trying to build habits that are unconventional for them. But then every time you have them be a control group, you're actually tearing down habits that you're trying to build. So it's like you're fighting, you're stuck in quicksand almost. And yeah, you can make progress, but like you're always taking a step backwards because you're then allowing them to break down habits you've been trying to form. And I think if you have a, a competent control group, you can uh, accelerate the learning curve for your top players because they're not constantly in a practice where they're now having to break down habits. I, I think, especially from a high school standpoint, because they are so, their minds and abilities are so much, so much more moldable, you know, they're going to be, they're going to take on more. Their habits aren't, you know, formed in them as much yet. Like with the college team, you can break habits, but it's just harder to break habits. It takes longer to break habits in college where in high school and that, like, they're, they're more moldable. So I would, I would hesitate to try to do things that would potentially break down their system habits. And I think that's best done if you have at least 15 guys on your roster who can give them a competent practice where they don't have to sit there and play, you know, zone defense when your, your system team's working on their zone offense. I read, I read somewhere, it might have been in the book, the Bible, uh, Coaching Success. Absolutely, great book. Um, I heard 13 is really good number for high school, and I believe I read something. So you have your top five, your top, your top ten, and then you basically have a third string point guard, wing, and like poster trailer. So Actually, yeah, no, um, that, I think that's absolutely right, Mark. And 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 as an example, um, at at Rhodes, uh, we because we had 15 guys, right? So we played 15, but okay. we really played 17 in every game occasionally we would play 18 because we had our three groups of five then we had one post sub we had one point guard sub and we had one wing sub in case one of those guys in those groups got in foul trouble we would then plug the third person you know we would have those three areas so now if you just condense it for a high school and you play 10 i think that's a great analogy because i also throwing out ideas here playing devil's advocate is 15, 16, 17 sound great, but at the high school level, sometimes you might not play all those kids. So if you're playing in a system that is geared towards participation and playing everybody, playing a lot of players, it's probably wise to keep around only like 13 so that you get everybody in the game. And then secondly, what I'm throwing out there is if I only kept 13, I would probably have either my JV team practice with us or at least my top five, like my starters on my JV team. So you take those five, I think you, you use the word uh, control team. So you can have five JV players and then your third string guys, three, and you can rotate the kids out. But now you got your AB, your five and five playing system in practice and the other eight being the control team. So you got 18 kids at practice but you only really suit 13 kids on varsity and you let your other five kids get the minutes and play more on the JV team. Those are my, some of my thoughts. So 
because I've watched like Coach Barber's video and, and I know you guys have a JV team. So you can incorporate that a lot easier with, with the roster sizes that you guys have in Greenville has um, to make the, the bouts and to make things quick. I mean, that's a whole other interview and question. Um, if it's a brand new coach and he doesn't know anything about system basketball, um, what would you recommend for them to get started? To um, well, the, the number one, and I actually, it sits on my counter. Yeah. But, uh, you pick up the system basketball <laughs> book, uh, coaching the system, a complete guide to basketball's most explosive style of play from the legend Gary Smith and, and the wonderful Doug Porter. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that you're, that's going to, if you have that, you will at least have access to everything you need to know to do this. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you don't know enough to execute your teaching of it well enough, but everything you'll need to know is in that book. Um, so I would say that's one way. Uh, another thing I think you should do is you, you should really check out uh, the system basketball Facebook page. Um, there have been some like teaching videos and, and, and drill examples and, and stuff on there that will help kind of just foster a little bit more learning. I think going to systembasketball.com uh, will help. And then looking at, um, well, to, to back that a little bit, I mean, with all the Zoom clinics that we've done here since uh, mm -hmm. the quarantine, the COVID quarantine has hit, I mean, there is so much information in these clinics. I I'm telling you, I would recommend going and maybe purchasing some of them or whichever ones fit you. I would recommend going to systembasketball.com, looking at the clinics, checking those out. I would then recommend trying to sign up for the new ones, anything mm -hmm. that's coming up in the future. Like the, the, the social hours are great. That's really a big learning thing because it's just more uh, free balling when you're just throwing stuff out there. And um, I also, then I think uh, reaching it, like the, the system, look, the system basketball community um, is unique and it's unique in terms of their willingness to share and talk and mentor and meet. We all know that this can be successful and it can be successful at a high level. Um, but we can only, can only make that happen through people taking this and doing great things with it. So everybody is so committed to helping each other grow in it that the resources with all the coaches, I, I mean, I would look at any of the coaches in college who run it, reach out to them. They're always more than willing to talk to you, um, answer questions, send emails, join the, the, the run and gun chat group email list, um, uh, all that stuff. And, and, and I'm telling you, we, we want people to do this, to play this style and to be the most successful team that they could imagine. And hopefully Somebody breaks through and wins a national championship, goes to a final four, wins a state championship, wins a regional championship, just so we can get tired of people saying, oh, it doesn't work at a high level. You're, you're full of it. It does. Uh, but we just need more people to do it. So everybody's willing to share. We love sharing. I, I just think um, it's a great community for you to have uh, resources. So th those are some of the places I would look at. As Matt was saying, as we're wrapping up with this, um, he, he rattled off Gary Smith, Doug Porter. Um, they're regulars on the Zoom clinics. Um, they've, they've shared ideas. And Coach Gary Smith attends whether he's speaking or not. He almost comes to all of them. Um, Matt, Matt brought up them. 
And I was looking at the list a little while ago before we even interviewed Matt, and I really was like 18 system related Zooms we've had. That's not even that are, that are recorded in the library. That's not including our Friday night uh, socials and all the ones that we kind of did prior to starting to record them. Um, I want to thank you personally, and, and you're right about the system community. Um, over the last six weeks, seven weeks, Matt's been nothing but gracious with his time with me um, as, a, as a guy that has studied it since 2010 and been chicken to, to put it in. Um, he's, he's spent time with my team, um, talking about recruiting, um, spent hours with me on the phone, and he's been valuable. So um, I'm honored to have you as the first guest of the Zoom Zoomcast. You were the actual first um, Zoom recorded clinic with your Moneyball presentation too. That's right. I forgot about that. That's right. If you want to learn more about Matt's um, ball screen version, um, we do have that available. He did two two versions of that. Um, that's available. And this is just this is great. I had a great time tonight, and this is going to be something we're going to start doing more often. Um, so Matt was our Zoomcast version number one. Any other yeah, last? I like, I like first, so I, I'm, I'm glad I could do it. Um, any last parting words for the assistant basketball coaches? Yeah, guys, all, the, all of you, I appreciate you. I've had a lot of fun over uh, these last, I don't know, what's it been, eight, nine weeks now, but whatever the eight, nine weeks have been, getting on all the Zoom sessions and, and just talking with so many of you on the phone individually or through email. I appreciate all of you. You've definitely helped my growth, and we're actually going to be um, making some changes, very minor, but some changes to what we do at Pacific just based off of learning more from these chats. So um, I'm very appreciative of all of you, Mark. I'm appreciative of you kind of putting this together and, and really making this something special for, for all the coaches. And, and I can't thank you enough, um, and, and just all the coaches. I don't, I don't want to start getting naming them because I'm going to miss some. But all the coaches are on. Man. I just, you guys are great. I look forward to seeing you guys play next year. I look forward to being in touch. Um, and and you know, we'll try to get more content, more videos, get some drills out there, just really help this be a thing for you guys to, to really learn about this style and, and make it your own and, and run with it. But those coach, system coaches, man, you guys are great. I love you. And, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys again. You can find me at System Hoops on Twitter, System Basketball on Facebook, systembasketball.com. And as you'll see as this gets put out, as, is the YouTube channel will be start start to be rolling with with more content with all these Zoom casts that we're rolling out. So um, I'm Coach Mark Hart. Thanks again, Matt. We're signing off until next time. See you guys at the next Zoom clinics that are typically Wednesday, Saturday nights for system basketball. Thanks again, Coach. Appreciate Have a it.